Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is September 9th. I'm Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News, joined in the Take Two studio with Mara Carabello. She comes first because that's who I'm looking at for the Exoro Group. And Greg She always Hughes. comes first. Who are you kidding? I mean, you can't say my name if you haven't said Mara. Citizen first. Hughes. Citizen I, Hughes. I'm I sometimes back. wonder, I'm like, back, which, baby. which order should I go in? Do I put Greg first because he's alphabetically first? Mm-hmm. or um, Ladies before but, gentlemen. And do you go by first name or last name because she's a Carabello, so that True. would be first. So, so first. try to switch it up. <laughs> That's a lot of thought. Ladies first. I would just say, yeah, ladies first. I'm good with that. I just don't want to offend anyone. Does it offend you if I say ladies first? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. You see, see? <laughs> chivalry's dead. Is, we can already oh, just start there. On. Let's just launch You're from there. You're so easy, Greg. You are, so yeah. It is I funny when you say names so. together, too, because you say Greg and Mara or Mara and Greg. Ooh. I know. Do Mara first. Mara first. It's just okay. less aggravation for me. Because when the reporters talk to us, some say Mark and Heidi, and some say Heidi and Mark, and they're like, how did they make this decision? How did they decide? I know. Mark and Heidi. How Heidi do they? Mark. Have they ever I don't shared? No, but sometimes the way things roll off your tongue, I remember the first market I was at, um, the anchors' names were um, Buddy and Jill, and if I said them in the wrong name, it would just become Juddy. I think like two I syllables first, one syllable second mm. is a better way. Heidi, Mark. Okay. See, I have to. I'm. I think that Greg and Mara is easier than Mara and Greg. No. Mara like and Greg feels single. like it. It's harder to say. Yeah. It sounds like a sitcom either way. It does. Sure. Yeah. Like Dharma and Greg, goofy yeah. but Mara music. And Greg, yeah, we're Mara good. And Greg. Yeah. We're good for 28 minutes. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> we have so much to talk about, and I never thought this would be a topic of my podcast, but I want to talk about the Queen, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, the, know, second, the longest reigning British monarch, uh, died yesterday at the age of 96. I, I mean, I'm assuming her family and those closest to her knew she was ailing and wasn't doing that great, but just two days before her death, she was there with the new prime minister, mm-hmm. and while she wasn't in London, I think, where they would normally do things... No matter how sick she was, she got dressed, she got she out of did. bed, she put a smile on her face. And we all know what that feels like, even if, let's say, you have a cold and you're not 96 and dying. Having to, like, take a yeah. shower, brush your hair, mm-hmm. it's a big effort. So I think it shows that she was serving until her She was remarkable. Days. We're not going to see anyone like her. No. I'm glad. I, you know, there's this weird narrative out there that the left hates Queen Elizabeth and that they think she was what a colonizer. What do you listen no, I, to? Yeah, I know. No, you no, got to get your head out of that i got to quit watching this left-wing stuff I've been reading to try and keep up <laughs> with you. but. But no, there's a, some people talk about the colonization, and she's a colonizer, and she brought all the. I I, I just find it. Maybe I, her ancestors. I don't know that she was technically a colonizer. Yeah, I, know. I mean, she and was old, but seventy years not to think of someone who actually met with Winston Churchill on the clock as queen, uh, who also lived through about sixteen presidents and I don't know how many prime ministers uh, on the on the clock. What yeah. institutional knowledge and memory? And I think she did. I think in the times that have changed, what she came into versus what the world looks like today being so different. And how she has navigated the royal family and their and their role, I you know you don't appreciate those things maybe until something like when she passes and you knew Queen Mum actually lived over a hundred but you knew it wasn't going to be that long but really I I do I have nothing but admiration for the Queen and I actually am glad that 
there is a monarchy that's part of that that can kind of simmer things down. Maybe be, be maybe the calm voice in all the tumult. But it'll be interesting in if world. that changes. I mean, that was certainly her. I know. Is she the end she, of really the monarchy? Yeah, is she was. Is she what we're responding to, or is it the King Charles the Third? He's been waiting for this gig for a long time. He sure so. has. I would hope he would just he keep sure kind of the same tone going. On. Interestingly enough, though, I'll be interested to see how long it lasts as the institution, yeah. which happens there, because I think that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, with their split, have kind of brought up a lot of questions about, you know, um, do we keep doing this, or, you know, is Although it something Although William we want? and Kate and those three little kids are they pretty are adorable. adorable. To look at. Yeah, I know. So They're going to carry the day, those I <laughs> have read the C- I've read CNN... Washington Post and Elle Magazine, who all teased me with the same headline, and I had a disappointing reader result. At oh, the end. what did you want to know? I want to know what's happening to the dogs. Where are the corgis going? I know, where going? are the corgis going? Every article <laughs> I've read has this long story about, you know, Princess Margaret likes corgis, or some other cousin likes dogs, and, and at the end... Nobody's telling me where the corgis mm. are going. Right. Apparently, one of the older corgis was with the queen in, when she died, but that... Aww, so. Cute. You know, as you respond with five stars to the podcast, if you could let Heidi know where the corgis are. Yes, please let us know. (laughs) And interestingly enough, before we uh, let this topic go, I've never been one who is, I don't know, enamored with stars or royals or whatever. It is interesting to watch it play out, but I've never thought I was a fan of um, the concept of having a king or queen. But as I've been reading more, I thought that there was some value to what she did. Because when you think about it, we have presidents that come and go. We have popes that come and go. We have ones we hate or we sort of don't like or dislike. And then things change and it gets better. But there's been a constant um, in the U.K., um, of even though your party may not be in power, they've had um, this woman who um, didn't get political, was there with her Christmas message, a kind word, uh, and Mm -hmm. was just a consistent. So they had something as a country they could look to and, I guess, get behind together. And I think we used to have that in the flag here in the United States, and I think even the flag's become something that divides us. But I think they have something that the largest percentage of people... Yeah, she was such a shared definition of what the UK was. And everyone had equal access to. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see how it When you have a benevolent queen or or a king, I think that that works well because that institutional memory does... Because, look, I was a public servant. It I was a speaker of the house. And then I came. The 70 years. And the big joke when you're a public servant is that you take a bucket of water and you stick your hand in it. And then you pull your hand out and you look at the water. And that's what it's like when you leave. It's like you were never there. And that's and that's actually a good thing to have that turnover and new yeah. perspective. But it's also fun if you have a benevolent queen or so, a, a monarch that's not horrible or tyrannical to have that consistency and have that perspective of different Uh, parties in power or different uh, circumstances going on and be able to apply all of that in the same role uh, that they always have. I think that I think there's stability in that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So um, I think it won't be the end that uh, the world listens and talks to this because obviously at least 10 days from uh, her passing, there'll be her funeral where we'll hear a lot more about her history. And then it could be even as long as a year before she actually or he, I guess we've got a king now. Um, Yeah. Did you hear that he could have been called King Arthur? He could have changed his name. You would have gone King Arthur. No, I, I, I think I would go by Charles. He's been th- doing that for seventy something years. I think the I don't queen think was one of the it, first. I think I read that actually didn't change her name. Mm-hmm. Um, that kept her. Given yeah, that kept her given name. So yeah, he could. So have he did. Something so else. Arthur was supposed to be the name, or could be the name, but he opted to keep his. 
king. name. Charles the Third, right? Yeah. It is kind of weird after you, if you, let's say you become king when you're 70, it's a little weird to take on a new name at that Elizabeth point. Elizabeth was 26. She could have easily changed yeah. at 26, but yeah, he's been Charles for But so Elizabeth long. is a solid name. It is. It is. Yep. All right. I think I'm going to read a little more history. I got into Queen Victoria a few years ago where I was reading a ton about it, but I love history, so it's been kind of interesting listening to I like and and, talk. And the retrospectives I've enjoyed. I yes. will continue. Yeah. Well, here in the United States of America, um, we are still electing people. We do not have kings <laughs> and queens, and I think it's about— We are a democratically yeah, elected republic. Yes. Yeah, so we are about 60 days out now from our elections, and um, Evan McMullen— uh, I think Mike Lee's back um, in Washington, D.C., uh, doing the work of a senator right now. Evan McMullen is working hard still on the campaign trail. He held a rally this week, and um, right after the rally, he uh, released some internal polling numbers. And his internal polling numbers are really great for him. Uh, it shows him with 47% of voters backing him, 46% with Mike Lee, and 7% undecided. So um, this is amongst likely voters. The interesting thing I when I look at these, and Mara, I'm going to let you go first on this because you're behind the scenes in campaigns and understanding how all this works. Greg, you've run, so you know how internal polling works. Do we trust internal polls to really have a good heartbeat on what's happening, or will they always have a bent towards whoever's doing it, whether it's Senator Mike Lee or Evan McMullen? So let's walk out on this for a second. So it's interesting because in the last two to three weeks, both campaigns have fresh polling. Lee has some fresh polling. McMullen has some fresh polling. So you are able to compare. They're both using national reputable firms. Um, Both of them are using partisan-based firms. Uh, Lee's using a Republican firm that he's used actually a couple cycles now. Um, McMullen's using a Democratic firm. Impact research, yeah. Yeah, but they're both reputable um, and and are doing, uh, you know, sort of mainstream um, Evan McMullen's poll was multimodal, which means they texted, they called, they used several ways. So you get different age groups. Yeah, and I think Lee's was more traditional. So both of them say they're talking to um, likely voters. And so this is where things get interesting. I think both of them were valid, legit polls. One of the things that happens very often on campaigns is you release your top lines, but you don't release the actual question asked. And so neither campaign is releasing that, and it makes a huge difference about how you ask the question. Is it one of a series, and we're just sharing the last of the series? Is it, um, you know, not? And then the do nots are often telling for continuity. Like you look, and if too many people jump from undecided to suddenly having an opinion. Now, I also want, and then Greg will spend time, but I want to point out that um, polling in September has a purpose. And both camps right now, I think, are doing a nice job fulfilling their purpose. Uh, for an incumbent, yeah, their fundraising is the highest purpose. An incumbent is showing that they're in a firm position. And, you know, Lee should be focusing right now, telling, reminding us how well he did in the primary election, which he did solidly on. And then the goal of Challenger is twofold fundraising and showing that he's got a shot, showing that he's viable and he has some momentum. if you don't momentum. have a chance, people leave. People get tired of you. And yeah. right now, September starts. The reason it starts and kicks off the season is you start to build some mojo. And Republicans can get away with having that come later. As a challenger, if you can't show that you've got momentum around September, October, you're dead in the water. Your money dries up. You don't get the challenge. And I think you saw McMullen going out early with some television. He's probably draining his resources. It's just a smart idea for a challenger. 
and then keeping going. And so the, the timing, the purpose, I'm not challenging um, the veracity of the poll, but the point of these polls for both camps is to show momentum. It's not really intended to be a predictor yeah, of the outcome. I have a question, and I'm, we might not know. Is it a what they call a fully informed poll? And the fully informed poll is when you get a baseline of who they like and don't like. But mm-hmm. then to your point about they the ask questions. questions. If you knew this, if you knew that, if you knew this about this candidate. So they try to inform the respondent. Although what you're informing uh, them of could sway them too. Because if you're like, did In you fact, know? And I would argue that most fully informed polls that a candidate does at the end of that poll would have them ahead. And if it didn't, that's when you would be in serious trouble if you did the fully informed poll giving the information you want them to consider or weigh when deciding between the candidates and you're still not ahead that would be a big problem well, so that's are, my when i look so at I'd that like, one point did difference you know that greg hughes hates goats yeah if and i like, if well, i like now, to kill out. puppies and club baby seals would you be more or less likely to vote for him and then at the end you're like so who do you who do you like and <laughs> yeah. so that that happens i'm telling you that so we know both of them are testing doing, messages there's actually a point to it. it's not it's not push polling neither it's not of negative. these it's were baselines neither of these are baselines we both know they're doing both tracking on this yeah so i suspect not i thought i suspect these were short series polls um because anybody who's going in right now on long style baseline poll in september is like burning up their cash in a dumb way so my guess is it was a tracking and and but again what's this is what's interesting you don't have to question whether either of them were valid it just shows you what a moment in time and senator mike lee was ahead in his poll as well and he's he's had more consistent polling right he has been able to show us this now over a year and a half Mm -hmm. period of time deseret news will give them a shout out they're having their poll come out with their head-to-head numbers in this next coming week so we'll be able to compare then a third party's um, with the, I'm excited for that because they do it with the Hinckley Institute. So you yeah. were up there today, and so and they got have the word some longevity, right? Yeah. They, my, they've been in. My only gripe about their poll, if I'm right, it, I might be wrong about this, but when they when they identify likely voters, they're not talking necessarily registered voters or those that have voted in so many election cycles in a row. When you're campaigning, you're looking for people that are truly going to vote. A, yeah. you want to see that they're registered. B, you want to see of the last elections, how many day did they participate in? Four of the last five. The more they participate, the more likely they are. If you just ask somebody without knowing whether they're registered or not, are you going to vote? Yeah. A simple yes or no, to me, does not give weight to that person that's responding well, to that Well, newspaper poll. polls are often intended to reflect public, large public opinion. Yeah. And as Greg is suggesting on a campaign, you want to have already selected who you believe is the voter yeah. because you can't afford to talk to everybody. But I think, interestingly enough, they both were probably right. And I think what it shows to me is how different their selection was mm. of who the recipient were so and again remember the point of this is to build momentum not to necessarily give the campaign strategic advice yeah. Yeah. and interestingly enough last deseret I news hinkley um poll i forget when it was taken if it was early july and then it was re- released late july and sometimes that frustrates me because so much happens sometimes yeah. in a few weeks um but the thing i thought was interesting last time when we've talked about this is i think there was 14 percent in there that said they were voting for someone else and i'm like well who's the someone else are you like writing in uh, Heidi Hatch, just like Mara, That's or right. like I've or been who recruiting. Are you I've been out there talking a lot, Heidi. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll be excited to see um, that poll. So uh, the momentum continues, and um, interesting to watch it. I'll play it on I, social I, I media. I think it's a. I think it's a tempest in a teapot. I think at the end of the day, we can just book this. I, I think Mike Lee's going to win re-election. I think that that McMullen needs to show. 
legitimacy to fundraise. Do you feel like you're biased on this question? Mm-mm, I don't. You I, don't think you wearing a Mike Lee t-shirt half the time we meet perhaps biases yeah, no, you? No, it, it actually analysis. looks good with what I'm wearing. It actually oh, sure. matches sure, it what matches I'm wearing. And, and I like that Trump way the sweats. hat sits. Yeah, it's, Mara, it's, do you want to make a call this yeah, early? So here's the thing. I will say Evan McMullen is putting together a better campaign. And like the Cook Report moved it from... Uh, solid Republican to likely. Now, what Greg is saying is true. It's still likely, likely Republican. And and we keep forgetting what a long shot it is to beat an incumbent like this. But you have to give Evan McMullen's campaign their appearing to be in play. And the reason that's true is we're talking about him right now. Right? And he got the Democrats to back him. And, and he's, he's got he's the got yeah. great yeah. coverage. And he is making momentum out of it. Again, I think um, tradition, CIA. tradition suggests that Mike Lee probably is in a great position to win. I, here's a, here, honestly, this is my attempt at not being biased at all. I okay. think midterms have trends. They have historical trends, not just in Utah, but around the country. The, the party that did not win the presidency does well. Does very well in the midterms. This is, you know, in ninety four when the, when when Bill Clinton yeah. was elected, and in ninety four the Republicans took over the House for the first time in forty years. Yeah. New Kingrich became uh, Speaker of the House. Midterms favor the party that did not win the White House. That is just historical. If you add that on top of the the, the current events that are going on, I don't see that you can look at a candidate like Mike Lee and say, "Oh, he's in trouble." So I, I totally don't. believe I, that, I, I except none a, of that applies in here. Utah. <laughs> I mean, like that's a trend uh, for competitive. That's a trend for seats that are available. This is not an available seat, right? This is either a Republican seat or we have a rare independent. So I completely agree with your analysis. I just don't think I would throw any. If the Democrats weren't backing, the other McMullen, part, Greg, you might is be that, right, that but that's tends their candidate. To, that tends to um, really be true for the House, not as much for the Senate. But okay. uh, but anyway, I think it is Lee's to lose still. Yeah. And but you know, hats off to McMullen for making money talks. Making BS money walks. Money. I got yeah. when we want to lay down bets on this, then I'll know you're serious that you think he can win. Okay. I already told you I think Lee's gonna win. Lee's <laughs> well, here's a real. T- we all know that debates <laughs> don't change a lot of minds, but I'm always interested to hear the debates, and I like tough questions. Doug Wright was named uh, the host of the Senate debate. Are we loving or hating that decision? I think it'll be great, and I think it showed you because I, because he is sort of equally iconic, and I don't think you can gripe about a Doug Wright. I don't think, are you allowed a, I, I in can. the Republican canon? Now, let me you tell don't you. like this choice? No, no, I like, I like Doug, and I like Doug as a human being. I'm going to tell you, just from my own experience, and I'm not kissing up to you. He won't ask the, the tough best, questions. The best yeah, debate I, I have ever, I was a part of it. But if I wasn't a part of it, I would have loved it. It was you and Rod Decker together. I thought that one-two punch on a, on a debate, whew, it was great. They were hard questions. They were, you know, Rod has this, like, edge, and he just, you know, he just keeps going and going and going and going. And then you, you, you frame it a little bit. More diplomatically, but I thought the two of you together and the way you ask questions and follow-ups, I thought that was the best debate. It'll be I interesting because like Doug's MO is sort of gentle and yeah. these two will want to go at each other. No, that's so. the thing that I thought was interesting because I always loved listening to Doug, Doug Wright on the radio and he's still there um, on Fridays doing, you know, the movie show or right. whatnot. But Doug Wright, when I listened to him, sometimes I was hungry for him to ask a harder question. For so sure. he always got um, the important people on his show, but I sometimes think that because... He was a good friend to everyone, and maybe mm-hmm. I hate to use the word softball because I hate someone if they use that name with me. But I, I think in some ways he's too kind and gentle for my taste. He's not going to encourage the ruckus. But don't you think these two men are coming in ready for a fight? Oh, they are, and, and maybe, he's going to be trying to play referee. I, yeah. I just think that you know, I know, I know Rod Decker's getting long on a tooth. He's not. He's retired. He has a right to his own life. But boy, I'll tell you what, he's 
dogged, and and I think that you two together, uh, Heidi, with with Rod, would make one. If I were toast and you were buttering me up would, right now, if you, if that would make one make for one heck of a debate. All it, right. it would make national news that debate. All right, we'll see how that goes. I know, so I'll be excited to watch that. Uh, we got to get through a bunch of other things real quick. Uh, Utah Democrats are um, digging in deep here. They filed a federal lawsuit. Um, the Democrats want to force Joel Ferry, who we talked about, was it last week? Um, or was it the week before off the ballot in the House District? And while we were doing our podcast recording last time, we were lamenting, you know, when is he going to step down? He stepped down in the middle of our podcast. It was breaking news when I went on the news afterwards. Right. But now they're saying, it was, obviously, it was he stepped down, but it was too late for his name to be taken off. So, Greg, uh, is there reason they should be doing this? Let's take it the opposite way. Let's pretend it was, you know... Uh, Democrats in the same situation as opposed to Republicans. Is it fair for them to say he needs to be taken off the ballot? So I, they're pointing to the Hatch Act, which doesn't allow someone who is, receives federal funds to, uh, to to be an office holder, but I don't know if it prohibits the actual From campaign. Running, no. I don't know if that's the case. I think if you won, you wouldn't be allowed to, to carry it forward. This is where me as a rock-ribbed conservative Republican would do a better job being the Democrat Party chair. They had a much stronger case when the Constitution and the separation of powers were being blatantly violated. You had a cabinet member who was still a serving member of the state legislature. If that isn't cross-pollinating your branches of government, yeah. I don't know what is. That is open and shut. Can't happen. So and and I'm disappointed, sooner. having been a member of the legislative branch, that that was allowed, that that was okay with anybody because it's not okay. That's the part where the, the Democrats should have drawn that bright line now doing it now I, I i don't know what this 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 is reaching and i don't even know why they're bothering to reach if when they had the absolute rock solid case they didn't make that case earlier on so we're conflating two different issues one was when a legislator took an executive branch he violated the constitution as greg is saying that got remedied by Joel Ferry letting go of yeah. his current seat. Yes. And so that was naturally remedied. So but there was a it conflict. Was, it doesn't it exist now. plain language. Now the question is, can someone intend to he, – he's been open about how he has no intent to serve in this role. Yeah. And can you then – now you, you close the Constitution and you open election mm -hmm. law. That's right. And that's why you can hear people saying two different things that don't match up. The constitutional question, I think, was a bright line. The problem is, because they were so tricky about that, I feel like they lack good faith in keeping the discussion going, being the Republicans who are keeping the discussion going about election law. But I think Greg is right. I don't know that you're going to find in statute, which is what Henderson said. Henderson said, I can't find in statute any place I need to insist that he get off mm. the ballot. Because now we've left the Constitution behind, the conflict between legislative and executive. I'm still criticizing that it felt like it needed public pressure for them to do the right thing there, but so be it, they did the right thing. Now we're left with someone who's standing to run for office, openly saying he has no intent to serve in this seat, saying, you know, no, I don't even plan on filling this seat. So the reason the Rep Democrats, and I'm not so sure it's a good move, but the reason the Democrats are leaning on this is that they're now saying the Hatch Act and what they call the Little Hatch, which is the state law yeah. that reflects the federal okay. law. All right. They're saying, hey, it says that you can't t be in a job that uses and takes federal money and seek another elected job. Now, the question will be the interpretation of, yeah. is it seeking? Is it getting? Is it after you're elected? And I don't know. We do have precedent for this. We had a sitting um, 
House member who was a chief of police. And um, there was a question. He was a senator, Griner. Yeah, and they sided actually with the law, not the senator. Now, it's got a lot of different variables, but we do have a precedent. But here's where I am finally on this. I am sort of bummed. So this is why politics are both interesting and very real. These are good people. I don't, I don't, I I think they're all good people. But I do think these good people are choosing to do what they can do, not what they should do. There is no political downside to giving the seat to a Republic Democrat. It's it's absolutely a Dem- Republican performing district. Mm-hmm. But there are consequences to every decision we make. And what would happen is the seat would go, well, there are write-ins too. Um, there's even a ferry write-in if you wanted to stay with the Uncle, ferries. So Uncle Ben. You could write in or you could vote for this Democrat. If the Democrat gets elected, it changes nothing he'll serve for two years and you all good people in box elder but you do the right thing not because you have to but because you should and i'm a little bummed that in this instance i'm not sure about the letter of the law i'm not sure if the lawsuit yeah. will be right but so i i'm glad you unpacked that because the uh, you, you there are two seasons we're talking about when when uh, he was served when when joel ferry was serving both as a house member and a cabinet member for department of uh, natural resources is that right dnr yeah. Uh, that was that was the time where I, if I were a, the other party, I'd say that's you know we we gotta have an election for yeah, let's fix this uh, yeah. Yeah, for the legislature with someone that's not you know in both both branches. So then he resigned. So my my point was, but prior to him resigning, that was the strongest argument that the Democrat Party could have made yeah. about there being a problem with that ballot. Now that he's resigned, I don't I don't know that their argument's going to hold. I think that that the that the seat will stay Republican. And that uh, and that he won't fill it, and then the central what's it, the central committee uh, yeah. will will proffer so they'll f- remember the delegates the are already going to temporarily fill the seat like in a couple weeks. Oh, that's right. And so they'll have this sit in, but yeah. in theory, that person's that only person there until it. January. That person will probably be the obviously will be I the would one think, that they I would they think continues. Yeah, so they'd so. be there for the interim. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. All right. So in a sort of same vein, but not the same vein. Um, the Salt Lake Tribune um, had an editorial that kind of went after Governor Cox and Amy Winder Newton, who we talked about in your absence, uh, Greg Hughes. <laughs> she has um, a new position where she, what is it? I forget what it's over families. What is her actual title? Office of Families? Yeah, Office of Families. And so it's a new office, so I guess it creates a new layer or a bureaucracy in the state that she's a part of. Uh, what they hope to accomplish and what they accomplish is tough to say at this point because it's a brand new position. She was appointed... Uh, by the governor for this. She also, if you don't know, is a Salt Lake County Council member. The Salt Lake Tribune's like, you know, the governor gave you these two positions. You can't have both these positions. She came back firing in her own editorial and said, uh, he did not give two jobs to one woman. With all due respect, the people in Salt Lake County District 3 gave me one of those jobs, not the governor. And then she goes on to say, you know, that she's going to be looking out for the best interests of families, whether it's their health, they're making sure they have the food on the table they need. Because Utah, as most states right now, we have a lot of problems that are facing families and making sure they're on their feet and can do what they need to do. Uh, who wants to go first on this? Uh, I will. Did you, did you like Amy Winder Newton's uh, retort in the paper? Did you feel uh, like it was needed? Well, it, it. I don't know enough about the job that she's uh, accepted from the governor, but if it if it marshals state resources and those resources overlap resources that the county of Salt Lake also marshals, so let's take foster care. Okay. 
if she is going to have some direction of state resources in the space of foster care, but then go to the city or the county building and then marshal as a county council member uh, county resources uh, in that same space. But we don't do that. I mean, this is why members of city councils, if they've won in the legislature, they've resigned that position. Uh, we have a, if it's not a law, we have a pretty strong precedent of if you've been an elected official and you win and you become a lawmaker, uh, you resign that position. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand as long as it's, if it's a symbolic role and it's just a, I don't know, we've had like a, I, whatever I was going to say, we had a porn czar once. I don't know if it's a, I don't <laughs> want to compare, I don't want to well. compare the two, but I, I just want to say if there's actual state taxpayer dollars that are being marshaled or there's a decision tree of which this position and Council Member Amy Winder Newton is the decider, mm-hmm. and she does decide where state funds go. If there's any overlap with the county, I, I do think it's a conflict. I, I don't think you can keep both of those positions and do that because you're one influences the other. And so I, I think that's it. That's, but I don't know if that's the case. I I've heard that it is, but I I don't know for sure. So I did not appreciate the hatchet that uh, the Tribune used. They're not the same. The ferry issue and the, the Amy Winder Newton are not the same. So I can really respect her need to distinguish that. But I think Greg's right in that intentionally or unintentionally, the Cox administration is bringing up a question of, wow, you seem to feel really comfortable mixing and matching elected officials. I think they're both very different scenarios. Um, my understanding is the way that the part-time county council works and the way I think this office is going to work. I think it's going to be more advisory and sort of more um, truly advisory. Not that she would have a budget of her own, not that she would uh, have direct influence over running a budget. Rather, she would have influence over, you know, take her advice because the governor has said that he listens to her. So if that's in fact the case, um, and it wasn't a matter of directing funds, I think it makes it clear. I didn't appreciate sort of what I thought was a very political hatchet they were saying. I think it's a legit issue to discuss at many levels, and it brings up an issue that I've long thought, which is, gosh, we got to grow the table in Utah. Yeah. I, like, it's the same people doing everything. And and um, that's no disrespect to those who are doing it. That wasn't. But I, I do think there was a more interesting conversation to have. I didn't like the way that the Tribune presented it. But there's um, a there's a twist of irony in, in the uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander category. Um, years ago, uh, Draper City Mayor Troy Walker was uh, looked or was, there was a recommendation that he serve on UTA's um, Utah Transit Authority's three governing yeah. board members or whatever. And uh, Amy Winder Newton opposed that appointment. Because of the conflict? Because he was not looking to give up his, his and it's not a full-time mayor position, but right. uh, he was not looking to resign as mayor, yeah. but would, would assume that role or that position for UTA. And so she was opposed to that because she felt serving as a Draper City mayor and in the role at UTA was uh, too much and uh too much cross pollination. Yeah. But and anyway, the, that's the, yeah. that's an interesting position to take years ago when you're 
facing maybe a, a, a similar situation. Now. And I can see the frustration because I can see where Governor Cox, I think I like the idea that he's reaching out to other people who are running for the same office he was in and saying, you know, there's important voices to be at the table. Yeah. Sure. I like that. At the same time, though, when we're talking about it, it comes kind of incestuous with government because there's only so many people you're going to. In some ways, the reason why you go to them is because those are the people who want to be problem solver, solvers, I can't talk, and who've stepped up to the table and are willing to do so. And finding people who may have another full-time job or something, you're mm-hmm. saying, hey, would you like this other you know, side hustle that's not really a side hustle, it's a big job. Finding those people is probably hard to do, too. So I can see it's a double-edged sword for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, no one thought this would be that controversial, or maybe you did. The flags. <laughs> so uh, we've got 19 finalists for the state flag. Uh, we have a state flag currently, if you don't think about it often, that's a dark blue. In some pictures, it seems navy. Sometimes it seems more royal. And then we've got the crest um, of our state on it. Uh, some states like Texas or um, others have, you know, a Great really... state of Colorado. Yeah, Colorado have a very recognizable flag. I think that's what they're going for and changing. But interestingly enough, uh, there's 19... Was there 19 finalists? I forget how many. Anyhow, there's teens of finalists. And uh, I posted them on my Facebook page, and I was expecting people to pick their favorite and tell me which one it was. And I think 99% of the people were like, why do we need a new flag? Can't we keep the one we have? This is a waste of resources. These are dumb. Why are we doing this? Greg's raising his hand. Yeah, You're in that I'm boat? I'm in that category. I'm not. I, so one, 19 is too many to give us to choose from, right? We need like we're, four. We're simple people. Yeah. We need three to five at most. So do your jobs. Give us three to five. That's number one. Number two is I'm just going to really say strongly and clearly I'm anti-beehive. And I will take the arrows that I take from that. I'm anti-beehive. I think it's a made-up symbol. No one relates to the beehive. No one looks at the beehive. You don't feel like thinks, a worker bee? I don't feel like a worker bee. And But I do think, here's my case, Greg, for why I think a new flag is important. I think it's important because symbols are enormously powerful if you can get them. And right now we don't have a symbol. We have a flag with a standard seal on it. None of us put it on T-shirts. I, I in fact, I'm, I'm from Colorado, but I have Colorado T-shirts. We, the Yankees, there are people who don't even know a thing about baseball, and they're wearing the Yankee logo because it means New York to yeah. them or it means cool or whatever it means to them. So I think symbols matter, and I don't think it's comparatively that expensive. And I think if we could get a really cool symbol that we would maybe – become engaged with this will take a generation but where we start having it represent utah i think that'd be really cool yeah but you gotta narrow it down for me absolutely so we are about out of time we're running on a tight schedule today and there's one final topic uh that uh, greg would like to discuss mara do you have time for his topic or no oh, yes. okay we're gonna sure. do it quick um So everyone's talking about this right now, and it's been going on for more than a week, but there was a BYU volleyball game, if you haven't heard about it, where a Duke volleyball player um, said, I don't even know what the right words are, she believes, she said, she reported that somebody used a racial slur from the crowd, she heard it, Uh, she went home, talked to her dad over the phone, was very upset about it. BYU, as in just about any institution, if there's allegations of some kind of racial slur used, usually come out fast, quickly, denounce what happened, um, kick the person out that you believe did it. And they did all of those things, which the world essentially demands of you right now, that you act quickly, say that was bad, please don't do it again. And as all of this has played out, um, we're starting to hear, and today we kind of got more from BYU saying that they've talked to more than 50 people, they've talked to players, they were talking to people in the crowd, uh, they've talked to officials, and no one can back up the fact that this 
use of the word ever existed. And the person that they banned from the game uh, might be a special needs person. They've never named them. That uh, Somebody said that maybe they recognize his voice. So anyhow, it's this giant mess. BYU's losing further games in basketball now. Uh, Greg, it's your topic, so you're going second. Mara, you get to go first. Uh, did everyone act or react too quickly before we had the facts here? Uh, what do you look at this? Because it's obviously turned into a giant mess right now. So there's so much to unpack that we won't right? even we get close to. We need another 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, we won't even get close to it. But some interesting variables were that the way it spun out on social media. So I think that's important. Yes. How this became a national conversation was the great art of social media, which is just nothing but a blunt object, right? Yeah. And it's either or. And it's a also, hammer. And the person. It, it wasn't even come a, the, from the, the yes, player. It didn't come from the player it or the team. It came from a... It was a school. A, well, it came from her godmother. godmother. And so, and then somehow LeBron James sees it and then it becomes ubiquitous and ESPN and other outlets start talking about it. So one is the question of maybe we should all not be as responsive as we are to social media and give a moment to let things breathe. So I think it's entirely possible and entirely true that this young player was well-intended and that she's correct about what she heard and, and felt and um, experienced. And I think it's entirely true. Is there a chance that she that may have BYU, thought she heard something? Absolutely. And there's a chance that BYU has done their investigation and said, hey, wow, in good faith, we can show you the tape. You can go online. They've said over and over, please go online. And you do see a moment where the supposed crowd was yelling and no one in that section's responding as though anyone's yelling at all, anything. And they've laid out a, a marked defense about saying, listen, we cannot find this person. We cannot find evidence. What I do think happened right was that the player complained directly and smartly and sophisticated right to the athletic department. Yes. And the athletic department responded. So they got it right. And they put that, a police officer in the stands to right. make sure that nothing and else further And she said happened. it was a good conversation. BYU said it was a good conversation. So we're really talking about the rest of us and how did we respond, who did we indict, who did we side with. Even yeah. Governor and, Cox came out and called the person an a-hole. Yeah, and, and, and that person <laughs> is, if he exists or not, anyone who does that. Now, so, so I think um, one thing that I'm disappointed with BYU they have continued to defend themselves. I think the reason this is a hot topic today is they came out with another, essentially, defense statement, a timeline, a really exhaustive sense of what they yeah. tried to achieve. What I wish they would do, what I wish everyone would do, would to be progress the conversation. I wish they would have gone a step further and said, so see, hey, we defended ourselves and we felt that was necessary. But in America, we still have a problem, whether it's perceived or real, and here's what we're going to do to be a part of this. That's solution. an interesting thing. You could say the fact that, that this would be even entertained as having been said and, and have such a powerful statement is pretty scary that we, a we live here in 2022. And even if someone misheard it, the fact that that it's believed and yeah. that it has caused this kind of ripple, we, we got to pay attention to that. I actually hadn't thought of that. That's, that's an interesting take. I think with all the phones that are videotaping and everything that everybody has, it, it's pretty hard for me to believe that not a single soul can find any video evidence of someone being this ignorant and this terrible of a person. And I refuse to believe that if we heard racial slurs being shouted, there would not be a physical recoil from people. Now, there would be someone in there, at so least some, one person. Now, some They're people said that it was yeah. so noisy in there that it was hard to even hear the person next to you in terms of being actually able to hear what they were saying. So I'm not saying that whatever was said would be clearly heard by everyone and you would expect that response. But the fact that there's none, 
and this is what I find ironic. The you know Duke University, um, that school, that university should be particularly sensitive to um, un, unsubstantiated accusations that come at their athletes or to the to a team. They had a lacrosse team that was destroyed. Their men's lacrosse team was destroyed by what turned out to be false allegations. But it was a very quick guilty till proven innocent. Lives were destroyed over this or, or harmed. And I think that, that Mara's point of everyone needs to just settle down and not run to the conclusions necessarily, but be thorough in what you do. And then there ought to be that conversation and that narrative about, you know, why is it that we're so – we believe it could happen? Why do, we, why do we think something like that could even be possible right now? Because I'll tell you the very first reaction I heard was BYU fans and even myself saying – who in the world is this idiot hillbilly that would ever say something like that and and besmirch a good team and a good school? And, Which I think and is what most there was nothing but feel. anger and contempt for the even the idea that something like this would happen. But as you went to see who is it that would do this, no one can find the real person, and it looks like someone was falsely accused. And so now you have a, a South Carolina uh, basketball team from some school that that it's a home and home. They've canceled play. They've yeah. canceled their away their game in South Carolina as if the person that was at this volleyball game would go to their school and start saying the same thing. They don't want to play BYU's girl basketball team in South Carolina because of this allegation that's happened here. But I think it's fair here. to ask BYU to I ask themselves crazy. why it's sad. it was so Actually, I think easy it's sad. to believe that that would come. And from I think BYU. that might be part of the problem. But I also think that punishing people who didn't have a part in it. So you're punishing these basketball players who. Had zero yeah. part in it. Yeah. And I would even say the volleyball team, you know, I mean, they're not the ones saying the thing. And so punishing an entire right. school or an entire race or an entire anybody because one person it. who was a bad yeah. person, I'm, you know. Yeah. Well, and all the noise around it became ridiculous fast. Yeah. And, and I will say again, it sounds like the player and the athletic department for BYU actually were the only ones that sat down and looked each other in the eye yeah. and had the conversation. Yeah. So credit there. But it does bring up a ton of questions about how do we respond um, and how quickly do we pay attention to secondhand Twitter news, right? You like, know, and there's a there's a there's a narrative out there that the godmother that that put this out there that got all the attention that she has a very strident political opinion or worldview uh, that this matches, and that this could have been as easily um, political in her or her sphere uh, as it was defending her goddaughter. And and there's there's skepticism or there's some cynicism out there about the the motivations of why this was yeah. pushed out and. I, I just think it's sad. I, I do. I will say this, though. I listened to, to uh, Athletic Director Homo's uh, comments to the crowd or whatever it was. I, I found them to be odd. I, I thought that he his actual plea to the students, if you only knew the girl, you'd find out she's so nice. No, actually, I don't need to know the girl to know she's so nice. I yeah, think I that the idea, know, yeah, I just sure. think the idea that someone would say something like that is abhorrent and should never happen, and I don't need to know like anybody one sentence, to yeah. be against that. Yeah. And so I found that to be a weird thing to yeah. A, Let's all try to be better. Down. And if yeah, there's any exactly. rap artists out there, this is something I hate. Take the word out of your songs. Let's just uh, take amen. it out of conversation. I agree with you. Because this is like, we don't have time for this to get into it today. And I know that people of different races feel differently about the worst, the use of this word. But I sometimes would get frustrated before jazz games. And I'm not going to call out who these players are. But sometimes they'd be driving it in in their fancy cars with songs that kids who respect them and hold them as heroes, you know, watch them on whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat. They're playing songs where they're clearly saying this word. And they're like... Like, you know, looking like a cool dude driving up in their Lambo to the game. And I think that it, it, 
it makes kids think that maybe that's a word that's allowed in if our it's society. A pejorative, so it's a pejorative. Make it go away. But my problem with that is that we can all sit here as white folk talking about it, but it's 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 a it's a community decision and culture. And but it's, it's not up the only them. word. There are a handful of words it that just true. need to go, go away. Go away and just stop using that. Yeah, get better words. I know. And we're not going to solve all I the just problems. I don't think I have standing in this argument. I yeah. think they do. I think the people that use it and feel fine using it, um, if, if they're black, then they then that's a conversation they got to have and figure so out. So I get to, I mean, can I use any words and say, as long as they relate to me and it's a female body part, I can say it? Mm. It's not around me. It'll make me uncomfortable. If you say certain oh, words, but I'll be totally mine. I mean, I, it's my body. I can say those words. I'm just saying, get rid of the bad words. I'm cringy thinking the, about what words yeah. you're thinking about. I just think about. it'll yeah. be a more yeah. powerful the statement Seinfeld. coming from those that have... Sure. I would agree. Connection to the well, I want to thank everyone for being a part of these many conversations with us today. <laughs> I want to solve all the world's problems. Yeah. But we just don't have time for it today. Oh, I didn't look. Thanks look for being this, here. Look at this Mozambique what? flag. It's got a it's got a sickle and a AK forty seven and a oh Bible. Gosh. Okay, you just we do not need that That's flag. what we need. Look at that. That's a flag you can get behind right there. All right, Google Mozambique. It. Look it up. We'll see you next week. <laughs>